Welcome to the Cornerstones of Healthy Food Systems, sharing reflections on the environmental, agricultural, social, and nutritional factors that form the foundation of healthy food systems and healthy economies. Now your host, Dr. Mary Lucero. Hello there. The concept of balancing minerals within the diet has been understood by life science researchers and nutritionists for at least 50 years. Yet surprisingly, in the competitive world of nutraceuticals, the importance of balancing minerals is easily overlooked. And I don't just mean it's overlooked by consumers and health food store sales clerks. Nutritional balancing is also being overlooked by healthcare providers. Doctors are recommending that a patient take more calcium because their bone density scan T-scores are low, but they aren't inquiring about the total diet or looking at the intake of other nutrients that promote bone health and that could become imbalanced when you start supplementing with excess calcium. For example, if you aren't also getting appropriate amounts of phosphorus, magnesium, and boron in the diet, your bones are not going to form properly. And if you take too much calcium without also increasing magnesium, you may end up dealing with kidney stones, obesity, chronic inflammation, or even colorectal or prostate cancer. So all in all, it's insufficient to focus on having enough of any one nutrient. The overall balance of nutrients also matters. One reason mineral balancing is so important is because each nutrient within our body is capable of competing with other nutrients for similarly charged binding sites within the cell. So an excessive amount of one nutrient can actually cause a deficiency in another. Now people have been taking nutritional supplements for at least a century. And while some people swear by supplements, Others report no visible effects at all. While most supplements are reasonably safe when you follow the directions on the label, after all, this is why they're sold over the counter, there is still no point taking supplements unless they're going to help you get or stay healthy. So if you're going to use supplements properly, it's worth taking time to either educate yourself on proper use or find a qualified nutrition expert and a reputable supplement provider to help you. The reason for this is that we already know that most of the food available in supermarkets, restaurants, cafeterias, and fast food outlets today is lacking vitamins and minerals that are necessary to keep you healthy. Yet most of us use food from these outlets on a regular basis. So until we embrace better ways of delivering food to the masses, most of us are going to need to supplement our diets. But just as processed foods can be filled with empty calories, processed supplements can be filled with improperly balanced nutrients. And like poorly balanced diets, poorly balanced supplements can contribute to long-term chronic health problems. You might be wondering at this point, what should a balanced diet look like anyway? And you aren't alone. In fact, the more commercialized our food systems become, the more debate there is about what a diet should contain. This is why many experts today look to our past for clues. Think about it. 
humans actually survived long before food came in boxes and bags with government-approved labels. We know from studies of jaw structure, tooth structure, comparisons to other primates, and food remains found in ancient encampments of early humans, that humans evolved as omnivores. Our diets vary extensively across ecosystems because we can adapt to our ecosystems by eating both plant and animal-based foods. Humans have been eating everything from roots and toads to bears and berries since the dawn of time. As with other living creatures, our own bodies are capable of balancing out certain excesses by eliminating those molecules we get too much of in our diet and by stimulating cravings for foods that we need more of. This system works well as long as we are eating a natural diet. Researchers confirm that in parts of the world where natural whole foods are widely available, people stay quite healthy. So do animals. A wild cheetah does not have to look up a calorie chart or read the nutritional label on a box to decide whether or not eating a gazelle will make it fat. Hot Pockets, Fruity Pebbles, and Impossible Burgers, on the other hand, are new additions to the smorgasbords of food that humans evolved eating. And because these foods are well marketed, a problem we're encountering in modern society is that very few of us are eating natural foods at all. As our bodies become overloaded with artificial flavors, excess sodium, carbonation, excess sugars, and nutrient imbalances created during processing, our natural regulatory mechanisms become overloaded and our microbiomes lose functional diversity. So we start craving the very foods we have enjoyed too much of. We start wanting sweet, salty foods, simple carbohydrates, and maybe even alcoholic beverages in amounts way beyond what is good for our health. Even the few among us who manage to replace our processed, packaged fast foods with whole foods are finding that it's difficult to find foods which have been grown on healthy soils or handled in ways that preserve their nutrient complement. So even those who are making heroic efforts to eat well are finding their diets nutritionally deficient. This is why the nutraceutical industry is booming. People simply need to supplement their diets in order to meet their nutritional needs. We know today that living cells require anywhere from 10 to 20 elements just to stay alive. These are the elements needed by cells from any living organism. If you are alive, you need at least 10 or 20 elements just to make the thousands of biomolecules that build and repair cells, fight off disease organisms, and eliminate toxins so you can go on living. Additional evidence suggests there may be as many as 60 elements that our bodies can benefit from at certain points in time or under unique conditions. We also need the nine essential amino acids our cells can't make we need certain vitamins and we need omega fatty acids. If these are not contained in our food, we can choose to get sick 
or we can take supplements. In the early 1900s, government agencies, perhaps under lobbying pressure from industries that had just learned how to make nitrogen fertilizers, defined complete fertilizers as fertilizers containing only three elements, nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. The message for the grower was that if a fertilizer contained these three elements, they could apply it year after year to maintain healthy crops. What this means for people who eat is that for nearly a century, farmers have been growing crops that pull 60 or more mineral elements out of their soil, and they've been replenishing those soils with three nutrients. Those who have stayed in the business have used their heads and figured out that a so-called complete fertilizer wasn't going to do the trick. A sad number of those have turned to pesticides and herbicides to maintain their productivity, rather than recognizing that weeds and other pests are almost always indicators of nutrient deficiencies. As a result, growers are spraying crops with costly pesticides whose residues further complicate the picture when it comes to human nutrition. Now, the big shiny tomato you see in the supermarket looks fresh and amazing, but it's not delivering on the aromas and flavors that guided our ancestors toward the best nutrition, and it is not providing the complement of nutrients that you would have seen had soils been properly restored with natural amendments. Even those farmers who have figured out the secret sauce and are doing a wonderful job of growing pest-free, nutrient-dense foods in healthy soils are having to sell their crops to middlemen who store these crops, process them, and transform them into packaged foods with fewer nutrients. Now, these packaged foods are convenient to pop in the microwave and put dinner on the table, but they don't compare nutritionally to what the grower harvested from the field. Not only are the nutrients missing, but the balance of nutrients, the natural ratios of one mineral to another, are all messed up. An article that was published in the Journal of Human Hypertension back in 2009 will give you an idea of just how much nutrients are lost during this process. Since I'm going to be talking about this article, I've included a full citation and a link to the article in the description below this podcast. For the record, I have no affiliation with the authors or publishers. I just found it online and considered it worth sharing. The authors of the study looked at only four mineral nutrients, calcium, magnesium, potassium, and sodium. They review the important role these four elements play in cardiovascular function, and while I won't jump into those details here, suffice it to say that if you have any concerns about heart disease, stroke, or obesity, you will want to pay attention to their findings. They used a natural diet as a reference point, suggesting that our ancestors consumed diets made up of about two-thirds plant food and one-third animal-based food. So early humans ate a lot of fruits and vegetables, but they also ate a sizable amount of meat, eggs, fish products, and in some societies, dairy products. It is safe to say that Ben and Jerry's ice cream, Snickers bars, and deep-fried tortilla chips were not on the menu. 
According to the authors, this natural diet offers a daily average of about 500 milligrams of sodium, 7,400 milligrams of potassium, 1,100 milligrams of calcium, and about 800 milligrams of magnesium. By contrast, in a processed food diet, we're seeing sodium levels between 2 and 3,000 milligrams. This is up to six times the amount of sodium that our ancestors consumed. Meanwhile, modern diets are only exposing us to about 1,750 milligrams of potassium and 180 milligrams of magnesium every day. That's only about a quarter of what our ancestors ate. We're only doing a little better with calcium, eating about half of what our ancestors once enjoyed. These deficiencies of potassium, calcium, and magnesium are disturbing enough when you look at the totals. But when you consider the fact that the excess sodium in our diets is competing with insufficient levels of calcium, potassium, and magnesium, it should not surprise anybody that our health is suffering. High ratios of sodium to potassium or calcium to magnesium can be deadly. Potassium is not only important for balancing electrolytes, that's why they add it to Gatorade, by the way, it also helps improve our glucose tolerance and prevents hardening of the arteries. Calcium is important for preventing osteoporosis, and it can also prevent or reduce obesity. Magnesium is central to at least 300 kinds of metabolic reactions that occur in the body, including reactions for electron transport and conversion or recycling of the energy molecule, ATP. So if you know of any co-workers or maybe live with any teenagers who just seem to sit around all day unmotivated to accomplish anything at all, a lack of dietary magnesium may be a big part of the problem. Now, in my opinion, what is most important about the study I've referenced herein is that its authors confirmed the most effective way to ensure people are getting a proper balance of mineral nutrients would be to simply replace processed food items with unprocessed natural whole foods. They share some valuable tables comparing the sodium and potassium content and the calcium and magnesium contents of various food items. These tables offer striking revelations. As foods in general are processed, not only do sodium levels increase, but levels of magnesium, calcium, and potassium decrease, just as I mentioned above. For example, a natural tomato only has about 2.5 milligrams of sodium per 100 grams of tomato. But when you turn that tomato into ketchup, 100 grams of ketchup has a whopping 1,360 milligrams of sodium. Now, if you're thinking about this at all, you might be saying, hey, wait a minute. Ketchup is highly concentrated. Of course the sodium levels are going to go up. You've taken most of the water out. This is a good point. But if all of this high sodium was due to water loss, we would see comparable increases in the levels of the other minerals, 
and the ratios between the different minerals would remain unchanged. This is not what we're seeing. I also want to point out that even if all of this sodium increase can be explained by the concentration factor, jumping from 2.5 milligrams in a fresh tomato to 1360 milligrams in ketchup is a pretty big leap. You are talking about 544 times as much sodium in ketchup as you have in a fresh tomato. In fact, if all you did was take the salt shaker and, sh and shake it on your french fries, you probably would not be adding, you probably wouldn't be adding 1,360 milligrams of sodium. But this is still only part of the picture. When you look at how potassium levels change going from a tomato to ketchup, the natural tomato has 290 milligrams of potassium. In ketchup, this number does go up, but it's not quite even double. It goes up to only 400 milligrams. So while sodium levels are more than 500 times higher in ketchup than in a tomato, the potassium levels have not quite doubled. While the whole food would provide a rich amount of potassium and a dab of sodium, the ketchup is providing a little bit of potassium and a colossal amount of sodium. The two products, the tomato and the ketchup, can't even be compared in terms of how your body is going to respond to them. The whole food is nutritionally balanced. The processed food is not. Let's look at what this means for your health. We know that balanced ratios of sodium and potassium can influence cardiovascular function for a healthy heart. The authors tell us that when a test population changed to a more natural diet, they actually saw blood pressure lowered as effectively as it is lowered with medication. So what's the take-home message for all of this? First of all, it's worth noting that the comments I've shared here are based on my understanding as a biologist, my reading of scientific literature, and my understanding of how metabolism occurs. I'm not providing medical advice, nor do I intend for this information to be used as such. Your personal health and nutrition concerns should be discussed with appropriately credentialed healthcare professionals. That said, the research cited above is one of many scientific discussions indicating that natural whole foods diets offer more effective, more balanced blends of nutrients than processed foods can offer. For this reason, whole foods are always the best option for keeping people healthy, and eating right may even help you reduce household medical expenses. For a host of reasons, most families are not consuming natural whole foods diets. This leaves most people only a few options for improving their physical health and expected longevity. One is to find a way to increase the amount of whole natural foods in your diet. This might mean planting a home or a community garden. It might mean buying from local farmers. And certainly it at least means ditching the packaged foods you buy and choosing restaurants that have also ditched the packaged 
institutionalized foods as much as possible. Next, most of us need to take supplements. But when you take supplements, pay attention to the sources and the balance of nutrients in your supplements. A natural diet will offer about 14 milligrams of potassium to every milligram of sodium. Widely recommended calcium to magnesium ratios hover between 1.2 and 2 milligrams of calcium for every milligram of magnesium. Do your supplements match those ratios? Third, use whole foods and whole food-based supplements to improve your odds of eating a nutritionally balanced diet. Stay away from what I call fractionated nutrition, including supplements that contain only one or a few nutrients. Now, as we approach the end of this week's episode, I'd like to shift gears just a little and leave you asking the question, what can we do to increase the availability of fresh whole foods in our communities? And since the most nutritious whole foods are harvested fresh off local farms, we should also ask, what can we do to make our communities more farm friendly? Keeping in mind that a local farm is a local business and that free enterprise is an important part of our Cornerstones model, we might even ask how we can make our communities more friendly to local businesses in general. Here at Endified Enterprises, we strive to address this need through the services we offer in our affiliate marketplace and by networking with other small businesses. To highlight this, I've invited a speaker for our next episode. Website developer and graphic designer Monica Kekueva from NK Design House is going to discuss tools she uses to help small businesses thrive. Until next time, have a great week. You have been listening to the Cornerstones of Healthy Food Systems podcast. This podcast is produced by Endophyte Enterprises, LLC. You can subscribe to our podcast at endophyte.com or look for us on your favorite podcast directory. Information or products referenced in any episode can be found in the show notes associated with that episode. These notes may contain links to our online courses or services. They may also contain links to affiliate sites. Purchases made through these links help support our efforts to produce this podcast.